sermons from Warren Community Church. If you'd like to learn more about us, visit warrencommunitychurch.org. Take your Bibles this morning, turn to James. Uh, that's where we will jump into today. Uh, James 1.1, be, we'll stay right there uh, uh, this morning. Very excited about uh, faith that works and, and what that means uh, in our lives. So, James 1.1 1, 1 simply says, James, a servant of God, bondservant in some translations, slaves in other, but James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. And he simply says, greeting. Let's pray. Father, we come to you. Uh, God, just so thankful today that we, uh, we can come together, Lord, and worship. God, that we can come together and just through simple uh, acts of kindness, Lord, through our passions, Lord, we can serve others around us, which is literally faith that works. Uh, God, you didn't call us to sit. God, you didn't call us just to wait until, uh, Lord, our day was up here on this earth or until you come back. But God, you called us to, to live out our faith. And Lord, we're going to see over the next several weeks, and that's exactly what James is, is teaching us, uh, Lord, as he wrote this letter to uh, those 12 tribes. And so, God, we are so thankful today that, uh, God, we have faith, uh, Lord, faith that saves, but also faith that moves. And, uh, God, I just pray today that if there's anybody in here who uh, does not know you as their personal Lord and Savior, that today, uh, God, they would, uh, for the first time, see really what faith uh, can do for them. God, we love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, James, simply put, uh, he says, a bondservant. And I want you to think about Ephesians 2, 8, though. Let's, let's talk about what all of this really means. And Paul uh, writes this in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved, how? Through faith. And it says, and not of yourselves, praise the Lord, it is the what? Gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. For we, who's the we? The ones that have been saved by grace through faith. We are his workmanship. Now that he has saved us by grace through faith, we are no longer our own. So we are now his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? What church? Good works. Not bad works, not no works, but good works. Uh, if there's bad works in your life, it's not because Jesus put it there. Uh, it says, because we're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which, what, God uh, prepared beforehand that what we should walk in them. And so faith, uh, that's where it all starts. We are saved, not anything that we do or could ever do, but through grace. But then faith does make us, it motivates us. I love the way Paul puts this because Paul's not letting us off the hook. Paul's going, yeah, it is God's grace that saves us through faith. And it literally means just to believe. And he says, this is it. Paul is clearly stating that we truly have nothing to do with our salvation. And everybody in the room should be excited about that. Because if our salvation was left up to us, we'd be in trouble. But he says, oh, listen, it's not, your salvation is not of you. It is of God. It is a sovereign work of him. 
And so he's stating we have nothing to do with our salvation. It's by God's grace. But when God saves you, there is something that takes place inside that should motivate us, that should drive us to say, God, I don't deserve your grace. I don't deserve the gift of salvation. I don't deserve forgiveness. I don't deserve your mercy. I don't deserve your love. I sure don't deserve a place in heaven. But God, because you did that, I now want to sit down in the church and do nothing. No, it should drive us and motivate us to, one, live a certain way, but also to be able to share that with others. That's why we call it faith that works. And so for the next 12 weeks, we're going to talk about how faith works in our lives. Why is this book so important? Well, one is because it teaches us how we should live practically as believers. Simple things is, hey, uh, he jumps right in, and Brother Ken will talk about it next week. Count it all joy when you fall into these things. Uh, he tells us how to control our tongue. He tells us that... We need to be doers of the word and not just hearers of the word. How to treat people as they come in and not show favoritism. And he teaches us how to take care of the widows and the orphans. And he reminds us that life is short. And he tells us just simply how to pray, how to live out our Christian lives. And I think that's so important. And it's just amazing to me, God's timing and everything, and how God just planted this book in our hearts to start on even today. But because of our faith, how you live out your faith determines everything in your life. And so I want you to think about this, because here's what faith does. Faith endures trials. Anybody in here ever been through a trial? <laughs> Woo! Amen. Anybody going through one now? <laughs> Hallelujah. Raise both hands and both feet and jump up and down. But it's faith that helps us. Get through those. Faith builds endurance. Faith helps us overcome temptation. Faith is what helps us obey the Word of God. Faith produces doers. Faith doesn't show favoritism. Faith is more than knowledge. Faith brings us together, but faith also separates us from what? The world. Faith causes us to submit to God. Faith is what helps us resist the devil. And this is just really good for the Christian. Is faith. So then what is faith? Well, Hebrews 11, 1 and 6 kind of gives us a, not necessarily a definition, but a description of faith. And we know the hall of faith. We know how it talks about that. We'll talk about a few of those people this morning. But Hebrews 11, 1 says this, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. So simply put, faith is assurance. And what a great truth. I, I don't know about you, but I, I, I love the promise of God. I love the assurance that I have on the day that I asked the Lord to save me and he forgave me. And, and he, uh, as the Bible says, he uh, wrote my name in the Lamb's book of life. And today I'm a child of God. And Ephesians 1 just lines out all the things that comes with being a child of God. I'm glad I have that promise. I'm glad I have that assurance. And faith really means just to believe to have complete trust in, to totally rely on God. Do you know faith is really not any, wor any secular word. Faith is really for the Christian alone because it ties us directly to trusting and believing in God. 
Assurance, though, is not some superstitious, hope-so, wistful state of mind. You know, sometimes you'll talk to people and you'll ask them about their relationship with the Lord or will they go to heaven, and they say, well, I hope so. That's not faith. Uh, and faith is not like, well, you know, if I do everything right, maybe he'll be kind enough to let me in. That's wistful state of mind. And that's not what assurance is. Assurance is based on what God has done, how he has proven his love for us. It is based on his ability, not anything that we do. It is based on his ability and the expectation that one day he will return. And I don't know about you, but like, I understand what the older people were saying when I was growing up about really ready for the Lord to come back. And it's amazing that we truly are closer than we've ever been, right? Amen. And if you live another day, you're going to be closer than you were today. And so it's the expectation, not only that we will be with him, but we will be with him forever. But until then, faith should impact how we live. In our life, as we walk through this life as a believer, it should be a preparation for what's to come. And so we should be living our lives in really in the essence that God could show up at any moment and take us out of here. And is the way our faith, what it's producing in our lives, are we really ready to see the Lord? I can tell you right now, sitting in a room this size, there's some people in here this morning, you don't want to see Jesus right now. And you say, well, what do you mean by that? Because we cannot look up on him with sin in our life. We have to continually. Why do you think John said that if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us? Why? Because Charles Spurgeon even says, I'm in a continual state of confession. Day by day, moment by moment, we should be preparing ourselves to see the Lord. So how does faith impact your life? I hope that your faith is the substance to your soul. I love what Paul told Timothy. And this is sure enough from really good assurance. I know who I have believed. And I am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. Man, that's some great assurance. Faith is based on the timeless hymn, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. My assurance is based on what Jesus has done because here's the truth. We all face what? Problems. We all face uncertainty. Everybody in the room has tasted some type of tragedy. I mean, we have gotten that news. Sometimes people are like, how do you put one foot in front of the other? And it's because of faith. It's because of a man named Jesus. Believing when not understanding that in all things God is working together for the good of those who are the love and called according to his purpose. I'm walking through some things right now. I don't understand why. But I know that I have a really big God that I've committed my life to, and he is working it for his good, his glory, and my good. I can't explain to you why my dad at 76 years old is going through what he's going through after following Christ so faithfully all these years. 
But I know who he has committed his life to, and I know that he is able to keep him until that day. And so we all face these things. And I don't know about you, but have you ever just had one of those moments that just literally stops you in your tracks? Like you're just flowing through life, things are going great, and all of a sudden something happens and it just stops you in your track and it literally just drains the very breath out of you. And, and maybe it's a broken relationship. Maybe it's a, a devastating diagnosis. I know several people right now that are going through some pretty devastating diagnosis. Those are just, just those unexpected moments. Maybe it's an unexpected death. We all have moments like that in life. We all have those moments. And you literally may have walked in here this morning. When your alarm clock went off, you're like, Lord, I don't want to go face anybody. God, I don't even have the, the willpower to brush my hair today. Lord, I don't want to put on clothes and put on a smile and walk in there and people ask me how I'm doing. God, I, I would rather stay home. I would rather say that we... Maybe you walked in here like that this morning. Maybe you came in here feeling like, man, I just don't know how I'm going to put one foot in front of the other. You may have walked in here carrying one of the heaviest loads you have ever carried in all of your life. But I want to tell you this morning, it doesn't end there. Why? Because we have a promise that in all things, He is with us. Faith is assurance. Have you ever tried to carry something really heavy with no handles? Like pick up something and try to hug it and carry it, and you walk a little bit and you drop it, or it does. I'll tell you, I don't know who designed pianos, but they didn't put enough handles on them. <laughs> and you can break your back trying to carry a piano. So you, you all understand what I'm saying. Well, think of faith as handles. And maybe you are going through a heavy load. Maybe you are going through something. Can I tell you something? Faith is the only thing that makes it possible to carry. Faith is the only thing that can help you do that. And that's exactly what you hold on to is faith. So whatever you're going through today, I want to tell you, if you're a believer, faith is simply assurance. But also faith is conviction. Faith is conviction. Now, I'm not talking about the conviction of, of necessarily like when you are lost and the Lord convicts you that you're lost and that you're a sinner and you're in need of a Savior. It's a conviction because you're now saved, you are driven, you are convicted to move forward. It's simply an outward manifestation of an inward assurance. Because I know I'm saved, because I know what Jesus has done for me, because I know he reached way down into a miry pit and he pulled me out and he set my feet on a, a solid rock and he gave me a new song to sing and he gave me joy in my heart regardless of whatever I'm going through. Because of that, I'm now convicted. It's an outward manifestation that just shows. And you are driven. It's the person of faith living out what they say they believe. It is a life committed that what your mind says you believe, you are living it out every day to be true. Uh, Y'all know what I'm talking about this morning? Yes. That, that, that conviction, that kind of faith that produces people 
who live their life in a way because they know that there's something great that awaits them. I love what Isaac Watts says about faith. He says, I believe the promises of God enough to venture an eternity on them. Do you believe God that much? Do you believe? Do you have that kind of faith? Because if we have that kind of faith, shouldn't that drive us to action? This faith that I'm talking about causes action. It's amazing how we admire the people in the Bible, right? We admire Abraham. We admire Noah. We admire Moses and the disciples and all these people in the Bible. And we talk about how amazing they are. And man, you know, boy, I wish I could be. You can be. Why? Because their faith just simply moved them to action. Faith is not only the assurance, but it's the conviction that, that says that neither death nor life, nor angels or principalities, nor powers or things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor death, nor any created thing shall ever be able to separate us from the love of God. How do you keep going? Because I don't care what you say, nothing can separate me from the love of God. And if I have the love of God that is carrying me, quite frankly, that's all I need. Neither death nor height nor angels or principalities. And we could just string this list on along. The conviction and the assurance is, is because of Jesus' love for me and nothing can separate that from me. I just move forward. And you just move forward. That verse alone should cause some radical dependency on God. So what's the relationship between faith and works? Can I tell you, faith and works are not at odds with one another. Actually, they're married. Because you don't have one without the other. And if you say you have one without the other, then you don't have genuine biblical faith. Because they go hand in hand. Charles Spurgeon says it this way, Faith and works are in the same bundle. He that obeys God trusts God. He that trusts God obeys God. He that is without faith is without works, and he that is without works is without faith. So they're bundled together. So we trust God. That's Paul's point. By grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourself, lest any man should boast. It is literally a gift of God. So we trust God. That's Paul's point. We trust him now. If you go back to the beginning of Ephesians 2, it says you were, what, dead in your trespasses and in sin. So you trusted God that he had the ability to awaken your dead soul. Amen. You trusted him. You had faith that whenever the Holy Spirit convicted you of your salvation, that you were lost and you needed to be saved, you put faith and trust in him. Because you couldn't do it on your own. I've been to a lot of funerals in my days. And I've never walked by a casket where the people in it was aware. Never. I don't care how much you cry. I don't care how much you say, oh, I wish they would just come back. I don't, oh, I miss them. Oh, they never changed their expression. Because they're not aware that you're there. Right? They don't have any ability. They couldn't get up if you begged them to. And they have no appetite. 
I've never seen a person in a casket asking for food. And that's exactly where we are when we're dead in our trespasses and in our sins. You are not aware. Can I tell you that? Like you're not aware. You can even come to church. You can sing in the... We don't have a choir, so we'll have to say you can sing in the pray, on the praise team. You can serve. You can sow. You can protect us. You can do whatever. And you can still not be aware that you are literally going to bust hell wide open. It's not until the Holy Spirit speaks into your heart and telling you that you are set lost and that you're in need of a Savior that you become aware that you're lost. Amen. So that's why it's a gift of God. That's why grace is a gift of God is because it takes God's grace to make a dead person aware that they're in need of a Savior. Amen. And then when you become aware of it, you don't have the ability within yourself to even get saved. I don't care how many times you're baptized. I don't care how many times you check the box. I don't care how, many, how much money you've given. I don't care whatever. You can be born in a great Christian family, but you do not have the ability within yourself to ever get saved. And to be honest with you, you don't want to. Because the Bible says in Romans 3 that we are enemies of God, that we're running away from Him, that we are at war with Him. And so what Paul is saying is that we trust him to save us. That's it. We just simply trust him. We, in and of ourselves, cannot ever do enough to be saved. So stop exhausting yourself in doing churchy things, thinking that God's going to give you a free pass into heaven. If you don't go by the way, the truth, and the life, by the blood of Jesus and our resurrected Savior, you will never see Jesus. Except whenever he tells you, depart from me. We can never do it in and of ourselves because it's a gracious work of a sovereign Savior. The point is, Paul is not contradicting James. He's saying that it's... Our faith is how we trust the Lord. We trust Him with our sin. I know that Jesus saved me. I know that He has forgiven me of my sins. My past sins, praise the Lord. My present sins, praise the Lord. And even my future sins. Thank you, Jesus. And I've trusted Him in that. I have believed that what He says he has done for me, he, he will. That he has given us the free gift of salvation through his son, Jesus. So if I trust him with my sin and I trust him with salvation, I should trust him in my relationships. I should have faith in my health, in my future, and ultimately in my eternity. Why? Because of a great God. A God who wakes the death to life and he sets the captives free. That is what Paul is saying. But then you do have what James says. The fact that we trust him now, and I don't want to miss this, back up to Paul, we live with him forever. So we put our faith and trust in Christ now for our salvation, and then we're going to live with him forever. He 
we will literally spend eternity with Jesus and he will lavish the riches of his kindness on us for all eternity. But as I was sitting down just this week thinking about heaven, just I got to thinking about just words. Nothing special, just really simple words. And I just want you just for a minute just to just pause. And I'm just going to read off some words and I want your mind to just go to these places. Simply put, heaven. Heaven. Like, it's a real place. It's a place where Jesus is sitting on the throne. It's a place where right now angels are, are just day and night, night and day, just praising him. Heaven. The Bible says it's a place where there will be no more tears, or our tears will be dried. We'll have rest. We'll have peace. Just heaven. But another word is just simply put Jesus. Jesus. The one who gave it all. The one who laid down his life so that you and I would understand what love really is and understand what forgiveness is. A person that loved us so much, he gave his life so that he could spend all of eternity with us. Jesus. John Piper says that the sad part with the American church is most people would take heaven without Jesus. But I would say there is no heaven without Jesus. So Jesus. Another one that just really hit me is loved ones. I don't know about you, but i got a few I want to see. I do. i got a cousin that was hit by a car at seven years old right out here in front of Fayette Academy on 64, and I watched him get hit by a car. You know what? I want to see him. I had a grandfather that, I will tell you, impacted my life. And boy, this week I've, I have just really drawn from a whale of what he taught me. And he died in my arms. He took his last breath in my arms. You know what? I really, really want to see him again. And I kind of look forward to it. And Tiffany's mom and dad, I'm ready to see them. But I can tell you, church, if you don't put your faith in Christ now, you won't see heaven. You won't see Jesus. And you won't see those loved ones. So Paul's simply saying the faith that he's talking about is we trust God. We trust him now. We live with him forever. Sometimes I have a difficult mind, time wrapping my mind around really all that is waiting. But I do know this because I believe what this Bible says, that one day faith will be sight. And I'm ready for that. I'm ready to see a place that has not been tainted by sin. So we trust him now. But then James' point is just simply we live for God. If everything I just said to you is exciting, then why would we not spend the rest of our lives living for him? And that's James' point. We live for God. Our faith that we have to help us 
get through life, the, you know, we've forgiven of our sins, we're going to heaven, we're going to see Jesus, we're going to see our loved ones. That should move us. And I can tell you one of the biggest obstacles in the church is we got to get past I got to and get to the mindset of I get to. That because of what Jesus has done, I get to. And just think about the Gospels. And listen to me, you're no different than those people were back then. I don't read anywhere in the Gospels. And I don't claim to know a whole lot. But I've read the red writing. And I have never found a story that when Jesus passed by and touched someone, that they did not want to do two things. One is they wanted to follow him. Two, they wanted to tell others about him. Right? How in the world can you encounter Christ and not want to follow him? How can you encounter Christ and not want to tell others about him? There's an old song that I grew up hearing and, and singing. It always makes a difference when Jesus passes by. And if your life has not been changed because of the encounter you had with Jesus, then you need to encounter the real Jesus. Because when Jesus passes by, it changes things. You cannot be the same person you were before then. I don't see where the woman with the issue of blood went back to the doctor. I can't see where the woman at the well went and found her, her sixth man. I, I don't see where Zacchaeus had to ever climb up another tree to see Jesus. Why? Because when Jesus passes by, it makes a difference. When Jesus healed them, when Jesus delivered them, when Jesus said, I will tell you how, how awesome it was. If you go back to the, the demon-possessed man in Mark, when Jesus cast those demons out, he actually told that man, don't say anything, right? Because it's not my time. And the dude went and wrote a book <laughs> and was passing it out, talking about what Jesus had done for him. He was so changed that he dis disobeyed Jesus. Why? Because it made a difference in his life. And that's what James is saying. James is saying, hey, whenever we encounter Jesus, whenever Jesus saves us, it motivates us, it moves us. So we live for God, as James pointed out. It, it, it moves us, but then faith motivates us. Have you ever just simply prayed the prayer, God, whatever, whenever, wherever, and however, because James says in the first part of his book is James the bond servant or the slave of Christ. So faith motivates us. God, wherever, whenever, however, why, whatever that is, Lord, you now own me. My life is at your disposal for you to do whatever you want to do. Whatever that masterpiece that you've called for, whatever that requires is what I want my life to be. That's what I want my life to look at. So we're motivated. Why are we motivated? Well, because, because we've been forgiven. Nothing should motivate a bunch of people more than being forgiven. Amen. Knowing that you don't have to hang on a cross. Knowing that you don't have to stand before God and give an account 
uh, for that, the, the, the unbelief or the sin, knowing that you're not going to stand in front of him and hear him say, hey, you rejected my son, so now you got to pay the penalty. Because we're forgiven, it should motivate us. Right? I mean, it should. It should motivate us because our sins are paid for. It should motivate us because we do have an eternal home. It should motivate us because we want others, right, to be forgiven. We want others to be debt-free. We want others to have an eternal home. And so our faith motivates us, and that's what James says, is like, you should want to serve Jesus because of what Jesus has done for you. And I just want to say this to you, church. If your faith does not move you or motivate you, you need to get a real, genuine, biblical faith. Because Jesus didn't save us to not use us. So to wrap it up, here's Paul and James' point of view. Paul was salvation through faith alone. He sees faith from God's perspective, the heart which no person can see. Faith, right? Salvation by faith alone, Paul. James, simply put, faith without works is dead. He sees faith from man's perspective. If our lives don't show that Jesus lives in them, then it's not genuine biblical faith. That's what people see. People see how our faith is lived out. And he goes into very grave detail on what that looks like the next few chapters. And so the impact of our faith. So if you have faith today, it should impact your life. Because your life is impacted, it should impact your community, the people around you. And then you should ultimately have a heart for the world. I didn't say you had to go overseas. But you should have a heart for overseas. You should have a heart for the people who are lost that have never heard the name Jesus. So what kind of impact does your faith have on others? So here's James. That was the introduction, by the way. James 1.1. James, a bondservant of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ... So what does faith look like? I've always found it amazing with James how he introduces himself. Do you know who James is? James is the half-brother of Jesus. James was the pastor of the church at Jerusalem. James was known as camel knees because he spent so much time in prayer. James didn't go, hey, I'm James. You know, I'm the half-brother or the brother of Jesus. You know, the one that you crucified that came out of the grave. You know, that guy, the one that was healing people and delivering people and setting people free. No, he didn't want people. Man, if that was us today, we would have, like, a whole social media page. We would, all the things. Man, look at me. I'm Jesus' brother. Look at, man, I... We would try to leverage it. But James just simply said, that's not who I am. James wanted to be identified as a slave. The Greek word is doulos. And it really means that you are devoted 
to another to the disregard of your own interest. So James says, hey, I'm just simply a slave. And I love what William Barclay says in his commentary on James. It says, the only greatness to which the Christian can ever aspire is the greatness of being a slave to God. If there's anything great about you in this room, it's because you are a slave to God. That's what he's saying. It is truly that Galatians 2.20 moment. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who what loved me and gave himself for me. So what does faith look like? Well, James, the bondservant. The role of a servant. Well, the first thing is a, a, a servant is, uh, has absolute obedience. So if you're truly a bondservant of Jesus, then he has absolute possession over you. He is your master, and therefore you do what he says you'll do without question. Right? And I know sometimes we're like, God, are you sure you understand that? But like when it comes down to it, God, you own me. The Bible says in Ephesians that we were bought with a what? Price. That we are now his purchased what? Possession. And so he says, hey, it's absolute obedience. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says it like this. The actual call of Jesus and the response of single-minded obedience have an irrevocable significance. By means of them, Jesus calls people into an actual situation where faith is possible. I've shared this in here before, driving in the jungle of Ecuador in 2013 at 2 o'clock in the morning, Washington looking over at me and says, hey, you know what a missionary does? And I gave the old preachy biblical American answer. Yeah, he goes and tells people about Jesus. He says, no, he obeys the voice of the Lord. And then he paused. He looks at me and he says, even in death. And then he looks at me and says, would you die for Christ today? Little did I know, right, Terry? We're like, we're going to face that in a couple of days. I'm like, well, I don't know, but now I know why you ask me. But it's absolute obedience. As his servants, we have no alternative than to give up our double-mindedness. A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways, according to James. And we give a singular focus to follow Jesus into the kingdom of heaven. And ever how that plays out in your life is, what, is how it plays out. Yours is going to play out much different than mine. But it's going to play out some kind of way where you will obey him as his slave. Obeying Jesus, though, is the safest and smartest thing we can do. So when I don't obey Christ, it's a faith issue. And when I say obey Christ, I don't mean necessarily God going, hey, you need to sell everything you have and give it to the poor and go there for and die. No, I'm saying that when this Bible right here tells you that you need to watch your tongue, that's obeying God. When this Bible right here tells you that you need to take care of the widows and the orphan, that's obeying God. When it says that you should not show favoritism, that's obeying God. It's not always this, this big lightning bolt moment call. It's the little things in the day-to-day -day living it's obeying God. And does your faith cause you to obey God in the little things? Do you channel your actions through faith? 
Do you channel your actions through, I'm a slave to God, and would he tell me to do this? Absolute obedience, but then also absolute humility. The slave of God doesn't think doing a work for the Lord is a duty, that it's a privilege. If it's not a privilege for you to serve Jesus, then you're serving the wrong Jesus. It should be a joy for us to say, today I get to go serve him. And so absolute humility. He does not think of his rights, but his privileges. James says he loses himself in the service of God. And I don't know if you've ever done that, but it's a great place to be, just to lose yourself in the service of God. And then he says to himself that he can only say yes to God, right? So when God says it, we simply just say, yes, Lord. And let me tell you this, you can never be loyal to two kingdoms. Either you're on the throne or God is on the throne, period. And so if you're fighting for the throne, you'll probably be on the throne of your own life and it won't turn out well. But humility, I humble myself and say, Lord, here is the throne of my life. I want you to sit on it. But then there's absolute loyalty. When you say James the bondservant, you're simply saying the slave has no interest of his own. That everything he does is for the glory and for the, 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 the gospel and for the good. He is simply the steward and he manages what the master has entrusted in him. Because we have been bought with a price. I said that a second ago. So what we do, we do for him. And then as his servant, we are called to stand alone before him in the intimate face-to-face relationship. You and I are responsible for our own lives, either obedience or disobedience. No one can stand between you and Jesus. You are responsible, hear me, for your own life. So if you let somebody else persuade you, that person's not going to stand there before God and go, yeah, you know, Lord, I, you know, I twisted, talked a little bit. No. You have to decide if you're going to be obedient and humble and loyal to the Word of God. And that you're the only one that's going to stand there that day. And so James is not concerned about man's approval. He was only concerned with obeying the divine calling that God had on his life. One thing mattered, pleasing his master. And I just want to ask this question. Is the way you are conducting your life right now pleasing to your master? Now, if Jesus is your master, run it through that. Is what I'm doing, how I'm conducting my life right now, is it pleasing Christ? Now, if you're on the throne... Maybe you're pleasing the flesh. But it's the privilege of a servant, simply having him in control. So how does faith impact our lives? He simply says, don't talk about work. Christianity, you know, somebody, you know, people sometimes say, well, you know, it's not about works. It's not about if we do this or this or this or this. Salvation is not about our works, but our living is about our works. Right? We sh- and that's what, that's what James is saying. Is that it should show in our life that we are belong, that we belong to Christ. And there are so many practical issues addressed in this book. I love it. Trials, 
right? Poverty, riches, materialism, favoritism, social justice, the tongue, how we speak, what we say, how we pray. What do we do when you're sick? Talks about wisdom, all kinds of practical things. And then you have to take that and go, how does my faith impact Somerville, Tennessee? One, how does my faith impact my family? Daddy, how are you leading your children? How are you leading your sons? Are you an example of a, of a, of a God-fearing man? Or let's just be, serious, be honest a minute. Are you a pansy when it comes to Christianity? Because how we live our lives, men, in front of our sons will be in a totally affect the way they grow up and live their lives. And so if you won't stand up for the things that are right, if you won't stand up for the things of Christ, you're teaching your children how to do the same thing. How do you handle the situation when it's unfair? How do you handle gossip when it's character assassination? How do you handle slander when you're being talked about all over the community? Do you handle it out of, out of being mad, or do you handle it out of getting on your knees and letting your family see you seek God? How do you handle whenever a poor person comes up to you and in need? How do you handle if you get sick? How do you handle when temptation comes your way? That's what faith is supposed to do. So how does it impact? Because the way I live my life will impact not only my family, It'll impact the people around me. So how does my faith impact Somerville, Tennessee? Do you have a good name in town? Do you carry integrity and character with you wherever you go? That's how faith should impact. When your name is mentioned, how is it mentioned? Is it mentioned like, man, they love Jesus? They serve the community. They care about people. Or is it in the negative? Your faith will impact the lives around you. So we want to live our faith in such a way that the people in Somerville, Tennessee, stand in awe of God, of the God-honoring, kingdom-focused, one-another-minded people that we should be because Jesus now lives inside of us. So how does your faith impact lives where we should live in confidence confidence in our actions our actions define us right it doesn't matter what or who people are you say you are one of the most profound quotes i've ever heard in my life and it struck me when i read it the first time is stevie saint talking about his dad nate saying he said this don't tell me what you believe show me how you live and i'll tell you what you believe so does your actions define you? Yeah, because people are watching. Whether you like it or not, when it says that you're a masterpiece, that means that you're not stuck off in a closet somewhere catching dust. It means that you are on display for the world to see the beauty that God has created in taking a lost person and saving them and creating good works. So you're on display whether you like it or not. When you name Christ as Savior, you become a masterpiece. But we can't be confident in our actions when we're not obeying what he tells us to do. How do we treat the least of these? We're going to find out the way we're supposed to. 
How do we handle the things that we're in? How do we care for people? All of that is in the book of James. Well, then we're confident in our speech. And we got a whole chapter of that, so I'm not going to jump into that. But in short, the tongue is the most powerful weapon on earth. The tongue can either destroy or it can build up. And it's doing one or the other. And he'll go into detail about how that is. It's either building people up or it's destroying people. And then we're confident in our service. How do we serve? How do we view our life on mission? I had a conversation this morning with somebody. Just a passion that they had. And they want to take their passion that they have and use it to draw people in to be able to ultimately share the gospel with them. That's what dresses is all about. You just got some people that love to sew. They love to come together. They love to iron. They love to do all those things. So what have they done? They've taken the passion that they have, and they're now using it for the glory of God among the nations. So how do we serve? And then who did James put his faith in? Listen, James, a servant of God, and I love the fact that he uses all three, Lord Jesus Christ. Because ultimately, this is the greatest example of faith and humility. We have a great example in the Lord. He says, a servant of God and the Lord. What's the example of the Lord? It's our example of being obedient. What did Jesus say? He said, I'm willing to do, God, whatever you tell me to do. Lord is our owner, our master. We belong to him. He owns you and me. So James, the servant of what? The Lord. But then he says, James, the servant of Jesus. Jesus, our example of humility. His name simply means Jehovah's salvation. Here's the thing. Jesus never opened his mouth. When they, when they led him to slaughter, according to Isaiah 53, he never opened his mouth. He humbled himself, the Bible says, to death, even death on the cross. And so will we be like Jesus, or will we be like Lucifer? Jesus never opened his mouth. Lucifer couldn't shut his up. I will ascend, and I will do this, and I want to be on the most high. Or there's a third person you could be like. There was a man in Third John named Diotrephes. And Diotrephes wanted the preeminence in the church. So he would not allow people to come into the church. He wanted to know everything. He wanted to be in everything. And when people came and he didn't want them there, he would run them out. Read 3 John. It's just a few verses, but it's powerful. So you're either going to humble yourself like Jesus. You can want to ascend in pride like Lucifer. Or you can want to be preeminent like Diotrephes. But James says, I'm the servant of Jesus. And then he says, I'm the servant of Christ. Our absolute example of loyalty, the anointed one, the one who stuck with the plan of the Father. So he simply says, James, the servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. So here's just the question in this one verse Who do you serve? Who do you serve? Who do I serve? Because what we believe determines what we do. So who do we serve? 
simple in closing a bond servant. I just got to reading through Hebrews 11. And just think about people that we love so much in the Bible. Abraham. Have you ever paused long enough to just read and think about Abraham? Abraham is living in the land with his family. Everybody in the land was pagans. All of a sudden, one day, out of nowhere, this voice came to him. The Lord says, hey, uh, go. And I'm not telling you where you're going. Just pack up your family and go. And when you get there, I'll tell you. And Abraham said, okay, Lord. So Abraham, a servant of God. And then you think about Noah. Build an ark and preach repentance. It's never rained, but just tell them that I'm coming, that, that the, wor the world's going to be destroyed. Noah said, okay, Lord. So we think about Noah. Noah, a servant of God. And then I think about like Moses. Moses really tried to get out of it if you read Exodus 3. And God just kept responding back, and Moses said, okay, Lord, I'll go. I'll go deliver your people. Moses, a bondservant. Jesus, in the garden, praying till his blood, sweat became drops of blood. Father, if there be any other way, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will. Your will be done. Jesus, the servant of God. And I just got to thinking about that. Can I put my name in the first verse of this book? Is my life being lived in a way that it belongs in Hebrews chapter 11? Can you today literally say your name? A bondservant like me, Matthew. A bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. To the members of Warren Community Church and to the communities of Somerville and to the people all around the world. Greetings. Greetings. Can we say that about ourselves? Are we living our faith in such a way that we can say your name, a slave? That's the goal. That's the gold, James a bondservant. Because I can tell you right now, if you can't put your name there, your life has no purpose. But because Jesus came and died, he has purpose for you. We have to surrender our lives to him. We have to submit our lives to him. It starts first by going, Lord, I'm a sinner. If you're not saved today, it's simply by acknowledging, Lord, I'm a sinner. And today, God, I need you to forgive me of my sins. I repent. Lord, I realize I've been trying to do things on my own. I repent. I believe what you did on the cross. I believe that what you uh, did by giving your life was paid for my sins, and I believe that you came out of the grave on the third day. And today, Lord, I put my faith in you. That's a start. And because he is so faithful and he is so just, and he's so willing to forgive, we simply go, now, Lord, I just surrender it all to you. 
God, you saved me. I surrender my life to you, Lord, and I want you to do whatever you want to with my life. God, whatever that may be. Because go back to Ephesians 2. What's it say? That it's by grace we're saved. Right? Through faith. Not of our works, lest any man should boast. It is the gift of God. And we are His workmanship, purpose. Created for good works, purpose. That He has set out beforehand, purpose. So it's simply going, God, I, I surrender. Lord, I surrender my life to you in all things. That's where it starts. Simply put, can you write your name in the first verse of James? And if you can't today, there's good news. Jesus came. And Jesus is here. And Jesus has paid the price. And Jesus is inviting you today to come because he wants to write your name in the first verse. And he's made every way possible for you to be able to do that. So who do you serve today? Father, we come to you this morning. God, simply put, without you, we are nothing. God, without you, we fail. Without you, Lord, our life would be hopeless. But God, we have you. Lord, you have made a way when there was no way. You have came, you have given your life, you have paid the ultimate price to pay for our sins, Lord. And simply put, all we have to do is obey, trust you in faith, God, and let you begin just to weave the masterpiece of our life. So God, I don't know where anybody in this room stands but me. And I know there are days where the masterpiece probably looks more like a mess. And I make a lot of mistakes. But I'm so thankful that in Jeremiah we see you don't throw the clay away. And God, I'm thankful that you just continue to mold us and make us. And so God, maybe there's somebody in here today that's just simply made a mess. God, you've come today to clean it up. God, maybe there's somebody in here today that just needs to repent. Maybe they've allowed the lies of the devil. Maybe they've been taken in by the adversary. And God, maybe they've given over to lies of the, of the enemy. And today they just need to simply come to you and repent. God, maybe there's restoration that needs to be made in this place today, God. Maybe there's broken relationships. That the only way those relationships could ever be restored is because of you. Maybe there's reconciliation that needs to take place. God, I don't know what all needs to happen, but I believe that in a room this size, there are multiple things. And God, we're simply just asking you to do what only you can. And so God, in this place, in this moment, Lord, I'm asking you to work. God, I'm asking you to do abundantly more than we could ever think or imagine.
God, I'm asking you today to defeat the enemy. Lord, I'm simply asking you just to move mightily in one community church this morning. God, we know where it comes from, and it's from you. And we don't want any of the praise ourselves. We want all glory to go to you. So church, this morning, as you just sit, every head bowed and every eye closed this morning, I just want you to just allow this music to just wash over you. I'm going to ask you just to spend some time with you and the Lord. Just get serious with Him. If you need to come down, you come down to the altar. Brother Ken and I both will be here. If you need to go to someone in this room today, you go. I'm just going to tell you simply, don't let the enemy have a place at your table. And so today I'm asking you just to let the Lord speak to you in these moments. And then when the time's right, we'll ask you to stand and we'll sing out the praises of Jesus. But if you need to come, you come. Lord, we love you and we give you all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to Sunday Sermons. If you want to learn more about us, visit warrencommunitychurch.org.